Episode 259, Cloak and Dagger, Season 1, Episode 4, Call, Response. Welcome to Level 7. A podcast about Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's a magical place. Hello, welcome to another episode of Welcome to Level 7. My name is Ben, Ben Avery, and I'm here with my friend, your friend, everybody's friend, who would not want to be friends with her, and that is Agent Samantha. Hello. And Samantha, you ready to talk about some cloak and dagger? (laughs) Yes, let's go. (laughs) So I feel like we're just slowly kind of, uh, it's almost like um, round robin kind of thing right now, so... Stuart and I did the first Cloak and Dagger episode. Uh, then you and Stuart did the second one. And now it's you and me doing the third one. And we're just kind of making our way around with each other. And hopefully at, at some point soon, we'll get all three of us together again. But, <laughs> but yeah. Well, there's a reason why there are three hosts right now. It is <laughs> one of the reasons why I wanted to have more than just one host to uh, to be around after after Daniel. So... Uh, yeah, this makes it easier. And that way I was able to miss a week, which last week there were so many moving parts in our life and it actually would have worked out. It would have worked out great if everything had just gone according to plan, but it didn't all go according to plan. So I ended up spending time in the hospital with my wife. She had an allergy reaction. It was just crazy. And, uh, yeah, but you guys did your episode and um, for Strangers and Aliens, then uh, Steve and Evan did an episode together uh, without me, and we were able to get through. We made it. We did it. And here we are, ready to talk about Cloak and Dagger. Um, Samantha, I had I actually haven't listened to the episode you and you and Stuart did. Okay. Um, because uh, when I when I would have had a chance to, I hadn't seen the episode yet. And I wanted to wait. Um, so uh, I, I am going to ask you this, though. Uh, did you talk about episode one and two and how you felt about those two episodes in that in that one? You know, we did not. OK, so I've been curious. Um, how did you like the pilot episode? I liked it. I really liked it. Um, though, uh, in I think it was an episode for Welcome to or for um, um, Agents of Shield. I s- originally said I was not. Um, I didn't find the the premise that this was a Romeo and Juliet sort of story to be very appealing because I, I thought that Romeo yeah. and Juliet was kind of like a this trite story about really just teenage infatuation. Unfortunately, I learned about that concept from my ninth grade English teacher, and she had it wrong because I was listening to another podcast, and they were talking about Romeo and Juliet. And it's not necessarily about teenage infatuation. That story is more about how the corruption of society, well, how society and corrupts the innocent. Yeah, yeah. And it's also about... um cultural differences and, and breaking down um, the cultural norms that happen be- just 
because of the way people are. And yeah, it's not trite. Uh, it's not great either. I mean, those two characters don't take Romeo and Juliet as your examples of um, what you should do when you're in love as a teenager. <laughs> like, oh, absolutely. Bad example. Um, I just I, I love that song where our love will be written down in history just like Romeo and Juliet because <laughs> I mean, clearly I'm hoping they're being ironic. You know, I, I, I'm hoping that they're in on the joke that, yeah, Romeo and Juliet, you do not want to go down in history like them because you'll end up dead without each other. Like that's that's how it goes. And not good. Not great. Yeah. Plus, when I was in the ninth grade, that was around the same time that um, the Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes was released. Mm hmm. So it, it, I was being bombarded with it a lot, and I was involved in theater, and my theater troupe happened to go to a, a, actually a really great performance of Romeo and Juliet, and the actress who played Juliet, she actually played it as a teenage girl, uh, which is uh, different from some other performances I had seen, but I had just seen it so much, and it was just becomes... I was it was it was just done over and over and over again to me. So I was bored with it basically for many, many years until I heard this podcast a few months ago and it straightened everything out for me. Yeah, well, and it's also I mean, a lot of times when, you're, when they talk about we're doing the Romeo and Julia thing, they're talking about the star-crossed lovers. They're talking right. about the the lovers who fall in love, but fate keeps them apart from each other. And right. And just fighting to get past the what fate is not allowing them, them to get past. And I'm curious, though, when that's going to happen here. Because right now, I mean, Tandy has basically left behind, I guess, her boyfriend. Um, but Ty's got, uh, he's he's got this kind of, this other girl here. And I'm curious what's going to happen with her to make him, you know, turn away from her if he's going to be romantically involved with Tandy. Um, I would prefer to just get through the series without them getting romantically involved, but that is clearly, uh, that's, that's not what people want. I'm, I'm yeah. the person who said, I don't want Colson and May together. You know, I, I'm the one who is wanting Fitzsimmons to stay friends. Um, well, Colson and May, I wanted to stay just friends. Fitzsimmons, I wanted them to get together from the episode one. Yeah, um, not, not, not me, but if, if cloak and dagger dagger follows the pattern that a lot of other shows follow when it comes to being centered around a love story, they want to get, get together until, or they won't acknowledge anything between them until end of season one, beginning of season two. Yeah. If that, it might even be season four. Yeah. I mean, they might yeah. pull a moonlighting or something, but, um, I'll or, also, or next files where it's like season nine. Yeah. <laughs> Or, or the finale of season nine. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll also say this, and and Daniel will will confirm this. Um, you know, don't take my advice about romance. So don't take Romeo and Juliet's advice about romance. Don't take mine necessarily. Uh, I mean, I, I I'll take yours before Romeo and Juliet's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, I I took my wife to Solo, um, the movie for our 21st wedding anniversary, and I owe her big time next year. Let's let's just yeah. put it that way. I like Happy the movie. anniversary, by the way. Well, yeah, thanks. But I, I like the movie, 
my wife, not so much. And I feel like I, I feel almost as bad about solo as I do about Independence Day when before we were married, maybe right after I, I said, yeah, you want to see this movie. It's got, it's got Harry Connick Jr. in it. And you know, our, one of our first dates was a Harry Connick Jr. concert. And yeah, of course he dies before the end of act one. And so then my wife is stuck with this movie that she really doesn't like. And the one (laughs) thing that kind of grounded her in it dead. So yeah. Yeah. But, but hey, you know, 21 years, that's not shabby. So, I mean, there's got to be no. some some romantic. Uh, so, I mean, I'm doing something right. But Yes, you are. After 21 years, I have to say you are doing something right. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's. <laughs> A nice, quiet dinner. There's, there you go. Yeah. Well. It's all you need. Nice, quiet dinner without the kids. Well, I think we want to try and go to Mackinac Island. And because oh. we've been there a couple times on vacation with the family, but um, I I don't know. It's expensive to stay on the island, but I'd love to try and stay on the island in that hotel there and, um, you know, watch somewhere in time uh, before we go. Because that's the Christopher Reeve romance movie that takes place on yeah, Mackinac Island. I, I own a copy of that. Do you want to borrow it? No, I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it cheap at Walmart. Um, haven't, haven't watched too. it yet, but yeah. Okay, so let's talk about Cloak and Dagger. Cloak and Dagger, call response. And so, yeah, uh, here's how we're going to do it. Um, we'll first talk about the conversation they're having at the church. And then we'll talk about um, what happens after that conversation with Tyrone and Tandy. But before we do talk about the actual things that happened, I would like to talk about the story structure for this episode and how that worked. Because this was fun. The story structure itself was fun to watch. There were some things that happened that weren't necessarily fun to watch. But I loved the structure of the story and how they they crafted this conversation at the church. And, I mean, it's picking up right when they left off from episode three. And I actually watched both episodes back to back. And so you have that conversation going throughout the whole episode but then you're cutting in with what happened after the conversation for both of them and it's i i i found this structure it, it worked it, this is something very hard to do and do well um i've used this structure in a couple stories that i've done and never never even close to as effectively as as they did here but uh i i loved it what did you think um, I'm looking up now who it, the showrunners are and who the directors are because this is highly well-crafted storytelling. Yeah. I mean, this is like this is not student film school. This is this is these are stories written by people who have been around for a very long time, and I am unfamiliar with the showrunners. Well, it's. Yeah, it's done well. I mean, thematically, what happens is as they're having this conversation and they keep cutting to these candles that are burning down. And um, Mm -hmm. as they're having this conversation, they'll say something that directly informs something that happened in, you know, later. So as they're talking about, um, you know, you have the voiceover where Tandy is spying on Greg, uh, who we'll talk about soon, but. She, as she's spying on him, the, the, her character then says, character is what you do when no one else is watching. And then we find out that's actually part of the conversation she's having, 
um, at the church with with him. And and why is that? Well, that's because Greg, she doesn't trust him and doesn't trust his character. And so she's watching him do stuff that he doesn't think anyone is watching. And it's it's good. Uh, it's well written and well crafted. And I have to say, the entire series has been well written and well crafted. Uh, it, it just it just has been. And I I uh, I'd, I'd go so far as to say that we might be looking at one of the best MCU shows. Oh, that, I agree. That there is. Um, now I, I say one of because now we have just tons of them. You know, we've, <laughs> we've got Inhumans, we've got Runaways, we've got Agents of Shield, and then all the Netflix. You know, we've got Jessica Jones, and we've got Daredevil, and Luke Cage, and Defenders, and and Iron Fist, and Punisher. I mean, that's a lot of shows, uh, but this is definitely rising to the top, and they're just doing a, a, a really, really good job with this show. Yeah, and. The we talk about it's all connected all the time. I can see these characters. I mean, I think you guys talked about this for the first and episodes, first and second episodes for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see these characters appearing later in the Netflix series with the Defenders or with um, uh, the Runaways or not. Hopefully, fingers crossed with Agents of Shield. I mean. They could show up just about, or or with the Avengers, they could show up anywhere. These characters about. would, yeah, they would definitely be at home with everything. I, yeah. I and and that's interesting too because uh, oh, we forgot Agent Carter because that's the one that oh, yeah. Agent Carter has some some links, if not ties. There definitely there's some linking, but um, I feel like these characters would be, yeah, you're right. They'd be right at home with almost anyone. I mean, they kind of ride that line between. Um, you know, superpowers with you know regular superheroes, but then street level, uh, but then teen. You know, like you're, you're yes. exactly right. You're exactly right. So, yeah, I I'm just, I'm enjoying this show a lot. I'm enjoying the show a lot. Yeah, I can especially see them working well in any of the Netflix series because I will not spoil them. Why? <laughs> There's a reason I will not spoil it. Well, I, I appreciate that, and um, our our listeners will appreciate it as well. And uh, uh, yeah, we we will get to Netflix. We will, but for right now, we are doing the weekly, and yes. this is this is some good stuff. So, so our cold open is basically the next moment from the last moment of episode three, and it ends with them saying, "We need to talk." So they do. And there's a lot of talking and, um, uh, Tandy, um, he, he tells her about the, the voodoo ritual and how it gave him answers. Uh, but they weren't his answers that they brought him. He thinks they were her answers that they brought him. And he talks about how she just keeps running in, in this vision he had, she kept running until she didn't. And she also then knows things about his story and about him. And so, yeah, so they're, they know each other now better in some ways. And this is good groundwork for a relationship. Um, they know each other's, I guess, backstory and, and deep pain and, and secrets and fears and hopes. And yeah, that's, that's a good foundation for a relationship. If they're going to go there, you know, like 
okay, more relationship advice then. Yes. Get to know people's hopes and dreams and fears uh, mm. as you're, as you're getting to know them. And uh, yeah. And then be empathetic with them and, and don't use them as, as weapons against them, which happens towards the end of this episode. Um, yeah. You know, even, even if they aren't going to be, uh, event, if they don't go towards the romantic storyline between these two characters, I can still see that as a, being a good foundation as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And as a friendship too. Yes. Uh, cause it's nice. I mean, they, they, yeah, they get into fight at the end of the episode, but as we're building up to that final conflict between them, um, they also encourage each other. Now, she encourages him to, um, you know, construct a narrative to allow him to go to the police um, because he can't just go to the police. They're not going to trust him and because of how he looks, you know, and he says, you know, you can walk in any room in this world, and never be questioned. The whole country is trying, trying to kill me every day, you know, and, and so this we, we do get into some of the the racial politics as well and and some of the racial realities of, um, you know, especially the, the, the city of New Orleans, which they do some, I, I heard they, them say that they, they use New Orleans well uh, and that they, you know, dive into things that can only happen in New Orleans. And that's certainly happening in this episode, not just with yes. the voodoo stuff and not just with uh, some of the, you know, things having to do with, with the hurricane, but just the the city itself and the, the personality and the, the different t styles of just, yeah, uh, neighborhood personalities and that. So, um, now that comes from my just like surface, super surface level understanding and knowledge about, about what they're, what they're playing with. But that's where this is working nicely because I'm seeing new things and I'm seeing the stuff that they're playing with. And it's fun to, to kind of learn about the, um, the the different cultures of the city. Um, yeah. Um, well, I'm I, not to not to jump too far ahead, but I like where um, Tyrone's father takes him later, and I like learning about that tradition. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah, that was really interesting. And another origin bit, you know. Hey, he's got a costume, <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> um, all right, so as they continue, they're talking about their powers and they talk about him teleporting and they speculate, you know, is the teleporting just taking him to the uh, to the cop or, you know, well, no, it's also taking him to her, you know, and, and they wonder is, is the teleportation right now protecting him, you know, and taking him to the places he needs to be, even if he doesn't know he needs to be there. And then they also figure out about her. uh her light daggers. Um, and you know, she's, I don't know. They just happen. <laughs> and, and then they decide to touch again. They decide the, to test their limits and they touch and, and <laughs> say it. And what? Say it. Say what? Boom. Yeah. It, it's a big boom. <laughs> it's a big boom. And, uh, Yeah. So that's one of those things where you, the star-crossed lovers, um, how can they be together romantically without being able to touch, without explosions? That's, it's an obstacle, uh, at the very least. 
So, um, they talk about why they haven't told anyone. Uh, and that's because no one would get it. So this was interesting because for him, the only person who would get it, he believes is Billy, his, his brother for her. She believes the only person who would get it is her dad. And those are both the biggest relationship that they had. And both those people are dead. And I found that, found that interesting. And they're both kind of looking at it like this kind of idealized, you know, the, the one person who can't be told because they're gone is the only person who would understand. That's, that's, yeah. that's sad. But at the same time, I, I wonder if they would feel the same way if dad was still alive and if Billy was still alive. But um, Well, they're also thinking about the relationships that they had with these two peoples, what, about eight years earlier? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if these people were still alive, they would be the people that they know eight years down the road. So who knows if, what their reactions would be at this point? Right. And both of them would be in very different family situations if yes. those people were still alive. Uh, yes. The, now, they also wouldn't have their powers if – because yeah. those two deaths happened at the same time, and both of the deaths are what kind of pushed them into the place that gave them the powers. But, um, and that's that whole, you know, what if, you know, once you start playing the what if game, um, you know, I, I used to say, and I, I still do, um, you know, if I could time travel back in time, I wouldn't fix anything because it would change things so much. And I wouldn't want to lose the people I have right now. Um, if I went back in time and, and made one slight change, um, I might have different children or a different wife, you know, and I, I don't want to risk losing that. So I, I wouldn't, yes. I wouldn't go back in time and change anything unless I could take them with me and be guaranteed that, uh, you know, they wouldn't be erased by the timeline, like back to the future. So as long as real life time travel is not back to the future, we, we'd be okay. Anyway, um, this is when the argument starts, though, and they start talking about how um, – oh, no, this is not the argument. This is where they're, they're, pay, they're paying each other compliments like you're too honest and you and hope is not ironic because she said, I see people's hopes, which is ironic because she has none. And he's like, no, it's not ironic. You see people's hopes because – you know, that's, that's good. And, and then they talk, that's where the line from, I think the trailer comes, the world keeps pushing us together. And then, uh, she says, and keeps pulling us apart. So that's, yes. that's that star-crossed lovers thing as well. Yeah. I think this is the same conversation where Tandy describes, um, how it felt the first time her powers manifested. And the way she describes it, it sounds like she was having an adrenaline rush. And I think that's what triggers their powers because they both – it it always um, happens in a moment where they both feel anxious or either of them feel anxious. And um, one cue that we have as an audience is there's that high-pitched ringing. Yeah, yeah, which definitely adds to the mood. And the tone yes. of the emotion of this of the scene, uh, although I I made the joke because it feels like this. I think one of Tyrone's powers is to cut to commercial. 
Ah. Because (laughs) oftentimes his power will manifest. We don't actually see him disappear. We just cut to black and then it's commercial. (laughs) (laughs) And then when commercial, when we're back from the commercial break, we see where he ended up. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is where then the next part of their conversation is they talk about just what their, what their expectations in life are. They have survivor's guilt. And they both feel guilty for surviving. And then they have this other, you know, kind of ironic moment where Tyrone says, I feel like I'm trying to make up for two lives. He has to be perfect because he's not just living his own life. He's living the life his brother couldn't live. And then Tandy is the opposite. Instead of living two lives, she wishes she could trade lives and that she was the one who died instead of her father. Both those are understandable feelings. But then that's what leads into the argument that we end this this on. Um, Tyrone confronts Tandy about wanting to kill herself. And he says, you know, you have so much to live for. And then she says, well, I strolled through your hopes. And every single time I'm looking at your hopes, and every single time you're committing suicide, death by cop. And she calls out Tyrone for his economic privilege and the emotional stability of his family. And then he snaps back, and this is where he actually says the line I I said earlier about, you know, she, even though, yeah, she doesn't have much, but she can walk into any room in the world and never be questioned. And that's what allows her to have the criminal (laughs) privilege that she has. Um, And and this is where they're upset with each other. They they part from each other after this. Um, Mm. And he leaves to go and what does he do? I think he's like exercising. Yeah. He goes to exercise and put on his headphones to listen to music, which is his retreat is the headphones and the music. Yes. And she goes to the drugs. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's the church conversation. And you walk through it like this and it's just a conversation and they would never ever do the episode, I think, with that long of a conversation just in a row. And that might have informed why they structured the story the way they did, is let's have this conversation where they're getting to know each other, but instead of it being, you know, two and a half acts of the of the show, it's, it's just interspersed throughout the whole thing. Yeah. And it's not boring because we aren't listening to the whole thing all in a row. Although... What, you know, being well performed and well shot and um, well written, it may maybe it wouldn't be boring. Um, I mean, hey, hey, Family Ties. They did an episode where the final half hour of the episode was a monologue. Well, maybe uh, it was a dialogue with an unseen psychologist. Um, and Alex, you know, it's commercial. It was commercial free, and so it's an hour long episode of Family Ties. Commercials in the first half hour, and the second half hour was just. Uh, Michael J. Fox on a blackened set with all these, you know, with the spotlights coming on to show these like little bits. And, um, and he's just having a, a dialogue with, with a psychologist. I can't remember if it was a dialogue or a monologue, but the idea is he's talking to a psychologist and it was fantastic. Great television, great, great television. So they, they could do it, but I'm glad they did it this way. Great television, great, great television. That's one of those shows that they. I wish that they could put somewhere on streaming because I have vague memories of watching it, but I just don't remember hardly any of the storylines. 
But well, I remember really enjoying that show when oh, it was I, on air. I do too. I I, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, like like that episode you just described. I do not remember that at all, but I can see them doing that. Yeah. Well, and in reruns that may not have rerun like that because they would have had to have done commercial breaks. But uh, but first run primetime television. I mean, it's around 90, 91 around in there. And uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. So, okay. From here, uh, Tyrone or Tandy, which, which direction should we go? Tyrone. Okay. So Tyrone is with his parents and he's acting like a surly teenager. Why is he acting like a surly teenager? Well, the way they structure the episode, we don't know <laughs> until the end of the episode. And then we realize, oh, because he had a, pretty awful parting with with tandy but his parents don't appreciate it and and maybe they shouldn't because he's not treating them with respect no he's just behaving like a grumpy teenager yep and then he goes to the school dark room and behaves like a horny teenager and <laughs> uh makes out with Avita in the dark room which uh school dark room Oh man, I I miss my old school dark room. My well, high school burned down, so it no longer exists. Oh uh, well, I had a classroom where I taught journalism, and the next classroom over was the uh, yearbook teacher, and they had a dark room, and that room just always made me so tense, just because of the potential of you know going away, going inside there, and doing what they're doing actually, doing what exactly what Tyrone and Navita are doing, or ah. worse, where it's you know against against someone's will and. It wasn't in my classroom, but it always just made me feel very tense, um, just knowing it was there. So now that was me as a, te- a teacher, not as a teenager. But well, in in my photo lab, we that as far as I know, it never happened because anytime I went in there, it was always the same group of people, and we were all just friends. Yeah. Well, okay. So Tyrone, Evita. Now that we've seen the whole episode, what? We didn't know what was going on when this episode first started. Act one starts and we're just getting our, our bearings and trying to figure out, okay, what does the structure feel like? What is going on here? Um, but Tyrone and Evita, like, is he, is he actually into her or is this because he's angry at, at Tandy and I, I don't know. Is this, is this angry making out? I think he's into her. And if he's not, I think he's trying to figure out if he's into her. Because I remember, I don't know about you, but I remember as a teenager, start dating someone or quote-unquote dating, we just hang out. And during that initial time, I'd, I'd still be figuring out, do I really want to spend this kind of time with this person? Yeah, so I, I can he, understand that feeling. I. I never had the opportunity to hang out with the people I was interested in to find out if I was even really interested in them because (laughs) I just, yeah, just wasn't reciprocate. No, no, I just wasn't that kind of kid. I I just, I didn't have any confidence. And, uh, I think I went on two, maybe three dates in high school and yeah, wasn't the, wasn't quite the ladies man back then. Uh, Well, let me put it this way. And I think this might also be because we're from different, slightly different time periods, but I did not have my first real date until college. Yeah, that's, because, that's about right yeah. for me too. I mean, yeah, but, 
I should, that's about right. Yeah, no, that's 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 what happened with me as well. His first first real relationships were definitely in college. I was an immature kid. I was always young, the youngest kid in my class, and so all the other, I mean, all the women in my classes in high school were older than I was, and uh, not looking for a little scrawny Star Trek fan. So, ah, uh, yeah, but I had really I had boyfriends in high school, but they never took me out. That's what I was saying. <laughs> that yeah. Yeah. I remember. I remember middle school. <laughs> in middle school, they used to call it. Uh, we're going out. We're going out. And I always was wondering, like, mm-hmm. they're not going out. They're going to lunch together in the lunchroom. Like they're in. You know, they're not going out anywhere. But yes. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if they're setting up something where he, there's going to be some betrayal in the future because of Avita's. Who is the priestess to her? Is that like her aunt? Her auntie? Yeah. Uh, I think her name is Chantel, but they didn't say it in the previous episode. So I'm just sticking with auntie. Yeah. And that seems to be some sort of, I I don't know what the presence of her is going to be. Is it a positive presence, a negative presence? I'm not sure yet. Um, But maybe they're setting up something with that where, I mean, she she made a a statue of him, uh, which (laughs) I love the... You know, the, using modern technology to perform these ancient rituals kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, Stuart and I talked about that. Is And we decided we can't decide if she's on Ty's side or not. So we're just going to leave it as it is because you can also use voodoo dolls to bless somebody. Right. Right. And so that's, yeah. What, what, what presence is she? I, I don't know. We'll see. We will see for sure. But she seemed mal- a little malevolent based on her uh, facial expression at the end of the episode. Yeah. Of course, that could have just been resting face. Totally. Could have been resting face. <laughs> totally. <laughs> resting so, basic face? Is that what they said? That's what they said. Yeah. One? Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So. He then goes and stages a bike theft. So that gives him a reason to go into the police station and go in as someone who needs them and as someone who they would have you know, reason to let him in. And he's told to uh, sit down and wait for O'Reilly, I think it was. Or is O'Reilly the vice cop? Um, o- O'Reilly's the detective. Because he goes in and asks directly for O'Reilly later on. Yes. But, um, okay. Well, anyway, he's sitting there. He's looking for the vice cop, can't handle it, and runs away. And then he gets home and he's confronted about his morning and about the missing bolt cutters. His dad's bolt cutters. And his dad is just, there's only two reasons to use bolt cutters, and that's to steal something or to break into somewhere. And so then he says, come with me. We're going on a field trip. You know, this exchange between Otis and Ty, it's very typical. You're being a teenager, you're getting yourself into trouble. Right. It's you're being a teenager, getting yourself into trouble. And it's and then it's you don't understand. Get out of my business. Yeah. And there's no real communication, no explanations. It's just a lot of assumptions. But the assumptions do lead them somewhere where they actually make a connection. Yes. Because that's a field trip. Yes. Uh, so the field very trip. Exciting, a yeah. Very exciting field trip. They they go to a backyard barbecue 
with a concert happening. And it's just, it's some of Otis's old friends and it's, it's the old, uh, little gang kind of thing. And he's, Mm -hmm. he learns a lot about his dad and, and learns that, um, his, his brother was going to be the new spy boy for, and and I'm, I'm trying to figure this out. This is for like, I think parades where they have one person out front and then they're coming, they follow behind. And, but then there's the context there of the, you know, the idea of looking for danger and, and looking out for danger. And, um, you know, his brother kind of acted as the spy boy for his, for him, for, for Tyrone and was kind of looking out for him and, and watching out for danger. And instead of going and getting the car stereo, staying behind with his brother, um, you know, and, and knowing that he is, you know, his brother's looking up to him and watching him. Um, but this is when they also start talking about the bead art. Mm. And, and this is, there's some rich conversation happening here. I actually, um, when it was done, I was just like, that's, that's, I got to write this down. And so I, I rewound it and, and I wrote it down. It's, Every bead has its place, part of the larger design. If you mess up and you don't notice, then you've got to undo hours, days, even months of work. It takes years to learn the mastery of beadwork, and each year you got to remaster it again. Every year a new, because every year you're a new person. Uh, we spend that time working on a new suit. There's a whole room over there full of failure stories. Could drive a man crazy, but not the man with patience, diligence, and grace. Control your actions. If you can't control yourself, you can't control a thing in this world. And so that's, you know, there's there's all there's a you know a dual layer to everything that his dad is saying here, and is you know he's here's how it works with beads, but it's also with life. And they do, they do beads together for a while. And you know, they're, they're making a connection there. Tyrone goes, uh, finds a cloak in the room of failure. And his dad gets angry at him about this. Why'd you pick that cloak? And he's like, the cloak kind of spoke to me and uh, I just want to finish it. And his dad's like, that's your brother's cloak. And so they're going to finish it together in in kind of honor of of the brother and they work together on this cloak and it does look a little bit like the cloak from from the actual comic book character yeah um when he learns that this cloak was billy's i began to wonder did billy have these powers before tyrone had them i I don't think so, but just because of how it all happened. Like, this doesn't seem like a passed down thing. Okay. Uh, it seems like it was part of, I mean, it was the accident is, is what it seems like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do like this, the, this story of how he acquired the cloak better than what you said. <laughs> What happened in the comics, which was it was just a tablecloth. He finds a tablecloth in the garbage <laughs> in an alley and keeps it for three decades of comic books. I mean, it's just <laughs> what? Um, I had this no is idea. A better story. Yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. I had no idea when I sat down and started reading, uh, because they don't tell you right away. They, you don't get their actual like the details of their origin story early on until they have their own mini series. And then you get all the details. And I read that issue. and I was just, wait, am I reading that? Yeah. He actually, they call it out. It's a tablecloth. 
Well, and it's nice to have the connection to his brother. Um, yes. And and this is a good way for us to get the MCU'd costume, right? I mean, yes. one one way you get these kind of garish superhero costumes when you're trying to do a more realistic version is, you know, Spider-Man sits down and sews his own costume or um, Superman has his mom help him put together a costume <laughs> from his blankies uh, from his spaceship but it has symbols from his culture you know, on Krypton. And so this is, uh, I think, a very good MCUing of how you get the costume. It just feels good. Yeah. It feels right. So after that whole time with his dad, where, where they're talking about being who you are, you know, and, and those kind of things, uh, he walks right into the police station and, and asks for this O'Reilly by name he at least is looking into finding out about the guy, uh, which is something else. Tandy says is you got to find out about this guy, you know, find out who he is before, you know, you try and kill him because, you know, this is, you got to find out more and you, you, they may not believe you to arrest the guy, but you need to look into this more. And so sure enough, that's, uh, that's what he's going to do. And I'm really curious, where is this going to go? But his ending is not as dramatic as Tandy's ending in this episode. Not nearly as dramatic. So anything more about Ty- Tyrone before we, we jump into Tandy here? Um, let me look at my notes. Uh, that is it. Okay. For me. All right. So Tandy, she goes home. Uh, she's interested in the Roxanne case. And so she apologizes to mom and wants to find out more about the lawsuit and why are they doing this? And it's about her father's name. It's not about the money, although the money would be great and very helpful, but it's about her father's name. But there's another name involved. And that name is Greg, the married guy who brings home groceries to Tandy's house. And he's making her house his house. And he's talking about, like, let's go plant stuff out there. And so this is where she's already talked about this in the in the church conversation. They just get done talking about knowing things and by by touching people. And so she touches him and sees his actual hopes as he's helping her or as she's helping him cook. And his hopes are to actually, you know, be with her mom and make a life with her. I'm as surprised as Tandy. I I wasn't expecting him to be a nice guy who's genuine and actually telling the truth. Yeah. We're, but what worries me is he's still married to somebody else. Right. No, and that's not good. You know, yeah. uh, let's let's be honest. You know, that's that's dishonorable. I mean, there's there's things involved there and and they set him up as the best possible philanderer you know like he is in a relationship that is basically a loveless relationship he has no children with this woman and he actually does care about tandy's mom and and so while i still really highly disapprove of what he's doing they've definitely worked very hard to set him up as the best possible adulterer that you could have (laughs) yeah yeah so, 
<laughs> and 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 for good reason, because of what happens at the end of this episode. I did not put him on Death Watch. I did not put him on Death Watch. I thought we were looking at mm. something where okay, now he's going to work with. You know, Tandy's interested in the lawsuit. The lawsuit is actually happening. It's not just, oh, I, I'm trying to get this this woman, you know, who gives me what my wife doesn't. You know, it's it's not like that at all. Um, but then we find out, well, we'll get there. But um, she, Tandy spies on him still, even though his intentions, his hopes are definitely, you know, I care about this woman. Um, Sandy spies on him and that's where you get the line characters, what you do when no one else is watching. And she actually goes into Greg's law office and asks for information about the case and finds out that the project that, that caused the, uh, the oil thing to explode, uh, they didn't kill the project. They buried it and kept it alive. Hmm. And that project is possibly still going. Um, they just, took the took the stuff and they sent this over here they sent this over there and it it was important enough for them to not lose the project yeah um he says something greg says something in this conversation about the rig he said they kept feet they rocks on kept feeding the beast mm-hmm. zoning grants permits um if you are following us away from cloak and dagger and into the greater greater sections of the MCU put a pin in that because we will talk about that on for later after cloak and dagger bearing the lead here. I know, but (laughs) just remember (laughs) pin has been placed, but it's not just what we haven't talked about that we will in the future. It's also things we have talked about. I mean, Roxanne has been doing stuff since agent Carter time and doing stuff like this and doing things that look like cloaks power. I mean, agent Carter way back, you know, world war two or just after world war two. And Roxanne is already doing this kind of thing. So she helps him and she, you know, gives advice about like, well, you, you've got all these, you got the paper trail, but what about the digital trail? You know, because they're going to be posting on Instagram and Facebook and that kind of thing. Um, and and this is where in my notes, Tandy working with Greg, he does a great job justifying the affair. <laughs> and, <laughs> unfortunately, I don't think his wife would agree. Um, and in some ways, I don't think uh, Tandy's mom agrees because Tandy's mom actually is starting to think the way Tandy was was thinking. Uh, Greg's wife calls during dinner. And he's not going to pick it up. But Tandy's mom is all, you got to pick it up. You got to pick it up. And I'm not hungry anymore. I'm going to go to bed. And I don't like you anymore. And we're not boyfriend and girlfriend anymore. Oh, I don't like what Melissa did right here. I really do not like it. Because Melissa's testing Greg to see, will he pick up the phone? But she keeps keeps like pushing him. Pick him up. Pick up the phone. Pick up the phone. You should call, talk to your wife. Pick up the phone. And then he does, and she gets mad. It's... Super manipulative. It's um, very manipulative. And so she's setting up this relationship to failure, uh, to fail in this moment. In some ways, she's telling him to choose. Yes. And, you know, and he's not in a position to choose. 
he's and plus, he he might not be thinking she's trying to make me choose at this moment because some people don't read that kind of uh, subcontext. Yeah, yeah. No <laughs> social cues. So so his wife calls Tandy's mom, super upset, breaks up with him, uh, and so Tandy's trying to talk to her about you know you were right, it's different, and no, no, I'm not, and and this is where. Um, it gets bad. <laughs> it gets weirdly bad. I was not expecting this at all. Tandy going to Greg's law firm again, or I guess law office. I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if it's a firm, but, um, she sees him get assassinated and the assassin like pours water or not water gas all over the place, burns up the the law office. Now, We have seen, she has seen plenty of paper, but there's also a stack of papers that she saw get put into a safe. And so this leads us to the next morning. Tandy's mom trying to call Greg to get him back, which is heart-wrenching tragedy because Tandy overhears and has just seen Greg get killed. So then we see Tandy attempting suicide. Now, this is after the conversation about you have so much to live for. And so she has tied up uh, her her feet and her hands, uh, her hands with rope, her feet with chains, and she jumps into the water. But it's not to kill herself. It's to put herself in enough danger that she can summon the dagger and use that to cut her the, the binds on her on her hands and feet. And then she goes to the office and uses the light dagger to cut open the safe and get the papers that were protected from the fire in the safe. And I don't know. It's it, it's so mundane, but I'm and I'm not I'm not cheering like actual cheering, because generally speaking, I don't do that. You know, I don't talk back to the TV. But I'm very close, and it's just her cutting open a safe. But I'm like, yes, she's just here, light dagger. All right, using her powers. Okay. Well, I'm glad you interpreted the uh, the jump off the bridge as she's trying to conjure the, uh, for lack of a better term, conjure the uh, the dagger. Mm-hmm. Because you, is that not your take? No, because of the way it was edited together. The, the entire episode because uh, the narrative that th- that they have in the church discussion informs the story throughout the entire episode um, because the scene had just cut from that conversation about how Tandy wants to kill herself through drugs um, and how she's having these sort of having these suicidal fantasies and then you, they showed her attempting suicide. I didn't interpret that as she's just trying to get the dagger. Oh, I, I didn't at first until the kind of the triumphant music that oh, kind of accompanied okay. her. When she was jumping in, I totally did not think that's what she was doing. It wasn't until she came up with the dagger and then went and used the dagger. Like she was try earlier. We've seen her try to summon the dagger and and not being able to. And and so I think she was putting herself in mortal harm because that's what it takes for her to to get the thing, to get okay, the dagger. That, 
That makes so much more sense because going back and reviewing the episode and writing up all these notes, I, I kept thinking, why on earth did she try to kill herself in this moment? And now I know why, because you just explained it. Yeah, well, I mean, if we had gone from the church conversation directly to this, for sure, like that's that's what it would have been. You know, but we also see her like throughout this whole episode, then outside of the church conversation, uh, she's getting, uh, I was going to say getting better, but I, I don't know if that's quite the right word to use, but she she's ends growing. Yeah. She ends the church conversation going to her escape, which is the drugs. But then she kind of, you know, she's got the, there's anger involved. And I think she's kind of seeing futility there. And that's when she goes – so she leaves the church to go home and talk to her mom about the Roxxon case and why are you doing this and finding out about that you know, because she wants to uh, – because that's where – how can she help her dad? She can't rescue her dad from what happened in the past, but she can potentially you know, find out more, and, and this is for both of them. You know, they, they can't – rescue the person from the past who's gone and dead but they can do things to kind of you know honor their memory or to um if not bring them back you know clear their name and so this whole episode is her having hope and at least you know a little bit of hope um gaining hope you know in humanity (laughs) because greg's not the bad guy she thought he was and yeah so that's I just feel like it was building to that moment and they could have done what, what other shows would have done. Maybe start with that moment, you know, start with her jumping off and then doing the flashback to see what brought her to that moment and realizing, Oh, she's not, she's not actually committing suicide, but I like the way it worked here. Um, building up and, and building her, her arc. And yeah, I, Again, I really enjoyed this episode. I I really enjoyed this episode and I'm really enjoying the series. And this is not freshman, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but the the freshman curse maybe, where the first season takes a little while to to gain its footing. Not at all. They hit the ground running with pilot episode and they They, they they know what they're doing. Yeah. They absolutely know what they're doing because... Yeah, and and uh, having f- like flashbacks or flash forward informed by um, a conversation or a narrative that's that's hard to pull off, and they pulled off an entire episode doing that. Yeah, and it's fantastic. So good. I I hope it continues the trajectory that we've we've already started. Uh, we have one feedback, and that is from Agent Hank, and subject line: Marvel's Cloak and Dagger. And this actually just came in tonight. It says, we are almost to the halfway point of the series. And I have to say, this is probably the best that the MCU has given us in terms of cinematography of any series, not on a streaming platform, Uh, which side note to me, I, I do. I feel like, I mean, runaways was Hulu. And then we have all the Netflix stuff because I'm not watching this on Freeform, though. This is streaming to me. This is, this is a Hulu show. Like in my mind, I keep forgetting. Oh no, it's, it's that, it's that cable channel. It's that cable channel. Uh, the visuals and blocking and shot arrangements are consistently stunning. 
I really enjoy the leads. They are putting in outstanding performances in each episode, and they are giving us interesting characters that we want to know better. Uh, my favorite sequences so far are the investigation of Detective O'Reilly when she doesn't say a word until she arrests Liam, as well as the 3D printing of the voodoo doll. The first is a classic show-don't-tell moment, while the second kept me guessing until the very end. Speaking of the voodoo doll, do we think that Evita's interest in Tyrone is innocent, or is she on a mission from her aunt? Tandy always seems to want to run while Tyrone's family stresses control and perfection, and he seems to always want to live up to that standard that he believes his brother would have exemplified. Such wonderfully complex characters are rare on television these days. Have I mentioned how much I love the way this show is shot? Again, there are very few shows that exhibit this level of quality in the cinematography. I am looking forward to seeing what the back half of the series gives us. Marvel is crushing it with this show, and I think we both agree. I, yes. I yeah I I don't think it I know it we both agree this is this is some good good stuff from the MCU and complex storytelling and it's 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 good it's good it's very good yeah so with all that said Samantha we have any final words you'd like to to leave us with Um, I do not have my list of Patreon patrons in front of me right now because <laughs> <laughs> I am not at home. Uh, <laughs> thank you all to all of our Patreon patrons. <laughs> I We listed you all last week. Uh, we will list you again next week or next episode. I'm so sorry. I, I cannot name you all right now. <laughs> all right. Well, that's... <laughs> They know who they are, and we do appreciate them, and we appreciate you for listening. And so with all of that said, let's see here. I think I'm going to have to edit the ending of this episode. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, with all that said, where did that go? I'm definitely going to have to edit the end of this episode. Okay. Maybe the post credit will be the unedited. Maybe not. Mm. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, oh, where is it? What's that? Here it is. Found it. Okay. Okay. Um, so, one thing that you would find interesting, maybe uh, after so many episodes, it was over 250 episodes of this podcast, uh, a lot of those episodes were just me and Daniel just figuring things out, figuring things out like, you know, what. What characters do we like? For example, how close can we get to each other without triggering our crazy? Thanks once more for listening. You've heard us. Now we'd love to hear from you. Just go to welcometolevel7.com slash feedback to contact us through our website. You can also leave us a voicemail by calling one seventy seven fifty five level 7 You can also join the conversation by liking us on Facebook, facebook.com slash welcometolevel7, or by following us on Twitter, where we are level7pod. 
Welcome to Level 7 is a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to help you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Learn how to podcast, get productive in your personal and professional life, theorize over TV shows, laugh at our clean comedy, learn critical thinking from movie reviews, and more at noodle.mx. Thanks for joining us. Until next time, Godspeed. Okay, I don't really have much planned for a post-credit other than go to comicbooktimemachine.com, episode 122, to hear the episode I was that, that Samantha was talking about, where I read the first chunk of Cloak and Dagger comics and talked about their origin story and kind of where they came from. So that's episode 122 of the Comic Book Time Machine. And that, that's it then. I should stop recording now. Stop. <laughs>